with us today is Howard Tolman. Thank you for joining us. And you are CEO of 1871 here in Chicago. Can you tell us a little bit about 1871? Sure. Um, 1871 is a mega incubator. I guess that's Mm -hmm. the best way to describe it because we contain about half a dozen accelerators and another half dozen incubators inside of 1871. So uh, we're Probably now the largest uh, you know, facility of its kind in the uh, U.S. Well, for sure in the U.S., maybe in the world. Uh, we're ranked number one in North America. And uh, we have about 2,000 people a day coming. We have around 140,000 square feet of space, about 450 companies, uh, and about 20,000 guests a month. Uh, in addition, we have all the universities here, so about seven universities, six schools of our own, about nine incubators and accelerators, as I said, six or seven early-stage venture funds, sort of a one-stop shop. We do about 350 workshops uh, each year. We'll do about 1,000 events this year, uh, three or four a day. Uh, Spend about a million dollars on education. And then we have around 900 mentors, and they'll this year they'll provide about 7,000 hours of one-on-one mentoring, office hours we call it, all on a volunteer basis, all across any number of uh, domains that you might imagine. Uh, and then we're global, so we uh, have reciprocity arrangements, most of which are focused on getting startups to move or launch their uh, U.S. businesses out of Chicago, where we think there's a lot of customers and we think there's a lot of opportunities to come right into the tech, basically, ecosystem as opposed to working out of Starbucks or the Red Roof Inn. So we have reciprocity with London, Paris, Toronto, Mexico City, uh, Turkey, Brazil, Colombia, Tel Aviv, Herzliya, and growing. So, uh, so that's a little sort of overview. We're a nonprofit. We facilitate everything from recruiting, we have our own in-house recruiters, to funding, to technology partnerships. And then we have a pretty large practice around innovation, uh, specifically working with large corporations, which pretty much acknowledge that they're not doing enough internal idea generation and R&D themselves. So connecting them successfully, and that's the $64,000 word, uh, two <laughs> startups is something that we spend a great deal of time doing. That's quite an accomplishment, especially <laughs> given from when it started. And so you mentioned... So we're about three years old, just yeah, in it's, terms it's, of when it started. Why Chicago? You know, when we when you think of startups, you usually think Silicon, especially in the U.S., you think of Silicon Valley and other locations. So you mentioned, you touched well, on it a little bit. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that you think about uh, startups. I mean, the truth is... Today, everybody has figured out that if you're a professional athlete, you won't remember your name in about five years. And if you're a rock star, you won't remember what you know week it is, uh, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever. But today's rock stars are entrepreneurs. So the truth is that there isn't a major urban area or anywhere in the country where there isn't new uh, idea and business generation going on. The reason for Chicago, the thing <clears throat> that's particularly appealing about Chicago is that, uh, as Steve Case would say, this is sort of symptomatic of the rise of the rest, that there are opportunities on both coasts, but they're not as robust as what's going on in Chicago in terms of an economy. So no single industry has more than about 13% of the Chicago economy. If you went to the West Coast and uh, media 
you know, caught a cold or he went to the East Coast and fashion or maybe finance uh, took a hit, uh, that would be bad for the entire system, whereas here we've got logistics, we've got healthcare, fintech, we've got seven or eight different uh, legs. A. B, a startup needs three things. So you need capital, you need talent, and you need customers. And there are no customers in the Valley. I mean, the truth is when I teach in Tel Aviv and they say, we're going to the Valley, and I'm like, well, great, you'll get right back on a plane because it's you can get your money there. But you, uh, you really aren't going to find uh, 35 corporate headquarters, you know, as we have here in just in the Chicago metropolitan area. And as far as the talent goes, there's three differences, I think, that we're starting to see here. And that is, one, far more loyal. Okay, everybody in the Valley has one foot out the door looking for the next shiny object or their next job. And that's not the case here. Two, we're seeing a sort of reverse influx of people coming back after about five years and saying, you know, this is actually where I grew up or where I went to school or when I, where I want to raise my family. And uh, I don't want to do it on either coast. Uh, it's tough to live there. There's a lot of other reasons. And then three, the uh, the deals are just better priced here for a lot of reasons. Uh, there maybe isn't quite as much competition. There isn't this sort of uh, frenzy because mostly we focus on B2B. Mostly we focus on business and not... Uh, unicorns, or if or unicorpses, I suppose these days. <laughs> um, and we also, I think, focus on trying to build businesses twenty to fifty million that can be folded into larger companies. That's the kind of exit that keeps the money here, keeps the talent here, and keeps the growth here. Because ultimately, eighteen seventy one has only one mission, and that's job creation. And if you look at the U.S. economy in the last ten years, twenty years probably. The only net new job growth has been from startups, from new businesses, not small businesses. Small businesses have not grown, uh, and big businesses have shed hundreds of thousands of jobs. But it's that spurt uh, in the first two to four years of startups that's really causing uh, this hiring ramp up. Isn't there an aspect here as well in Chicago? I mean, there's there's these communities that you're building of these different entrepreneurs here at 1871. I mean, isn't that kind of the the special sauce here at 1871, the different entrepreneurs well, kind of coming together, right? Well, for, sh for sure <clears throat> that, you know, to, to say that there are probably a hundred, and this is true, there's probably a hundred since 1871 began three years ago, four years ago, there's probably a hundred co-working spaces just in the city of Chicago. Co-working spaces, that has nothing to do with what we do, as yeah. you alluded to. So, Critical mass, different game. You know, networking, matchmaking, marriages, all the things that go on here that are so essential to the success of the companies isn't about uh, renting a desk and having great coffee, you know, or a great coffee machine. Coffee's so, good, though. Yeah, the coffee's good. <laughs> we're on our sort of- Or Diet our, Coke. We're on our second sort of uh, lifetime with coffee. We had Intelligentsia here. Mm -hmm. It was so slow and so expensive that the joke was that meant you had already been funded. Those were the only people who were going to Intelligentsia. <laughs> I love Intelligentsia. So now we have, uh, now we have a different metro, metropolitan. Metro yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, They're very good, too. They're, they're very good, too. So- <laughs> <laughs> but um, but we do, we spend a lot of time uh, making things work. Now, the other thing that's a common misperception is that uh, people think that it's all 22-year-old, you know, sort of uh, pimply entrepreneurs. The truth is that's a bucket that we have. Then we have the second bucket of serial entrepreneurs who are just smart enough to say, why wouldn't I 
see if the dogs are going to eat the dog food before I rent furniture, before I commit to an office lease, before I spend yeah. a bunch of money. Then we have career changers, which is very interesting. I did this for 20 years, and now I want to do my passion or something different with my life. And then the largest single cohort here are owners and operators of businesses with more than 14 years industry experience, not kids. And what you discover when you go one level deeper is there are people with enormous domain expertise and no technology. And we marry them to young technologists. So these are great stories of people with plenty of money. They've had a dream. We have an ophthalmologist here. He's He's wanted a practice management system suited to his particular area, and he's never gotten it. And you know now he knows everything there is to know about what it should contain, but he needs somebody to build it for him. So he's here with a couple of young guys. The amazing part is once he builds it, there's probably 200 other ophthalmologists, all of whom are members of his little club that go to their conventions you know, three yeah. times a year, and they'll pay anything for it because it's sort of an industry-specific silo and it'll be a quite a successful uh, undertaking. And then they can go find whether they want to move into dermatologists or whatever. But the point is that this technology is uh, accessible, but it's accessible to the younger generations. But the domain expertise is something that they could try to discover. But if you can marry them to people that already have it, you accelerate the whole business process. I want. I'm from Chicago here as well. I wanted to make sure our listeners also had a good representation of why the name 1871. I know what it is myself, right. but I would love for you to tell a story, which I, I love the story behind it. Sure. Uh, well, it's very simple. Uh, the story is basically that that was the year of the Chicago Fire. Now, why you would name any enterprise after the tragedy of the Chicago Fire, uh, I'm not sure. But but the reason was that post the fire about half the city had to be rebuilt. And by virtue of that, there was a great renaissance. It's where the World's Fair came from, the first skyscraper, the first Ferris wheel. We think technology today represents that kind of expansion opportunity and renaissance for the city. So that's where 1871 came from. Um, Since that time, it's become sort of fatty. So we have 1776 in Washington, D.C., you know, I believe 1492 is still available if you know anybody that's into <laughs> exploration. Uh, but uh, my passion's that's where, here in Chicago. That's where Howard, ours. That's, that's where ours came from. We're you know that's the background. One of the things that Jason and I, as we were researching 1871, one of the things that caught my attention was it's a place to fail safely. That you've created an environment where. People feel comfortable failing and, and going learning and moving on. And I think a lot of organizations try, are trying to create that, replicate that environment. I mean, what do you think goes into creating a successful environment well, where you're, you feel comfortable so, I mean, failing? Well, so I don't know if I even agree with that. I mean, I, we think failing sucks. So uh, <laughs> <Okay>. unless, <laughs> unless they have a new drug or something that I, that I don't know about. But that doesn't mean that it's not educational and that you can't learn from it. it it's not fun to fail. So um, we have this come up a lot when people say, well, how many companies do you throw out of 1871 every quarter or whatever? And we say, well, you know, we have this interesting thing going on, which is, and this is why we have our own recruiter, uh, very few people leave 1871. What happens is we may determine with them that their baby is ugly or that their idea <laughs> sucks. Mm-hmm. But this is how they want to spend their life. 
And so what they do is they shift. They go work for a company with more momentum, with a better you know, idea, with more traction. We think of it as Hotel California. You know, you can check in, but you can never you can leave, never right? <laughs> so we don't see much, uh, you know, flat-out failure. We see some people who are building stuff without doing the appropriate research to find out if there's real demand. So sort of the, the solution in search of a problem or the mm -hmm. greatest software never sold or the cure for no known disease. These are all things we try to avoid. Um, but, you know, I hear all the time that, you know, that uh, we're developing in the Midwest belatedly a tolerance for failure. I, I'm not sure there'll ever be a tolerance for failure. It's just how you are able to adapt. And, you know, nobody makes all the right decisions. It's what you learn from the good ones and the bad ones mm -hmm. that lets you build. Now, the real difference here is that if a standard venture portfolio might have two, win two super winners and maybe one more winner, so maybe three out of ten, successes in the course of 10 or 15 years, we our needle is about 50%. And the reason it's 50%, the reason we have a much higher success rate than just about anybody out there, is when you add hundreds of mentors, you have this pattern recognition, you have this ability to help people avoid the same stupid mistakes. This is not to say they won't make mistakes, but they won't make the same mistakes. And they uh, learn from them more quickly. Uh, you know, when you have hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs and you have technology jumping from industry to industry so quickly, this lateral learning, you just can't replicate anywhere. When 30 people are working on education technology solutions, they watch each other, they see a solution. I, I just was giving a, a guy an example of we're using uh, beacons in casinos, but tomorrow they'll be in hospitals. And he was like, boy, that's a big jump. And I'm like, not really. So in the casinos, we're using them to make sure the waitresses are serving the whales and not the penny slots. It didn't take the casino owners five minutes to say, let's put them on our maintenance guys and our, our security guys as well, because if we can watch your activity, we can make a lot of sense out of this. And the hospital jump is that the nurses' rounds are are life-threatening. They're, they're that essential. And right now, most hospitals keep track of the regularity of mm -hmm. nurses' rounds, roughly the way we keep track of whether the bathrooms at Taco Bell are clean. You know, it's like a little check mark on the, <laughs> yeah, it's on the paper back of the in the door, back right? of the door, yeah, right? So, I see you know, every time not, I go so, in there. So we're not too far <laughs> from saying, well, maybe we can do a better job. And then, then it starts to jump. And now, all of a sudden, you can give information to the family at home that reassures them that every three hours in the last, you know, three days, somebody has stopped in to see their patient who's a family member. Um, so this is what goes on all the time around here that people see, and uh, it's a source of inspiration, it's a source of innovation, and we've really turned that into a practice. And so um, that's what you come here for. You come here yep. to be part of a startup factory that builds better, stronger businesses, and that's our job. How much? Do you see Internet of Things lately? I mean, is that something that's trending? So we're, we're opening a whole uh, one of the incubators right upstairs in our newest expansion area will be IoT, I yeah. IOE, really, Internet of Everything. So connected car, beacons, wearables. We had the Spidey suit here just recently. We had Ford Motor. Has, uh, Ford Motor companies created a couple of suits that replicate uh, sense deprivation and drunkenness and things like that. You put it on and it, it shows you how you really would feel if you were drunk and stuff, trying huh. to drive a car. Um, so we see a lot of that. We're, this whole place is rigged with 
three sets of beacons. We have about 180 beacons uh, in this uh, facility. One group permit you to, if you're visually impaired, permit you to navigate 1871 by voice on your phone, and it wow. gives you directions. Yeah. Uh, but another group is used to measure um, all the activity in the space. And again, this is huge, okay? And the reason it's huge is that for the last 10 years, the online merchants have had it all their own way as against bricks and mortar. Yeah. Because when you came to an online site, we knew who you were. Bricks and mortar were like clueless, okay? Well, now we've got tools that let us do tracking so we can actually see how long you spend, dwell time, we call it, or we can see how you react to a retail display. We've got heat mapping that will tell us um, which aisles are attracting and retaining the most tra you know, traffic and the weight in terms of you know, density. Um, we've got a system that lets us know, now you may not know this, but right before you check out, the last place you go is to the frozen food section. Okay. So that actually is building a system to let us know that we need more checkers if we see like 40 people coming at them. Is that because of ice cream? Of course, or? you don't want it to okay. melt in your cart the yeah. whole time Got that it. you're driving around. <laughs> so, so everybody yeah, wants ice cream. Exactly. Okay, I right. just uh, wanted to make sure we got so that clear. We're, so, you know, th there's a lot of um, extraction of information. So um, IOE is one, you know, very significant area. But we're also d looking at the digital showroom. You know, Rebecca Minkoff, we're working with some of that technology. So imagine a showroom where you press buttons and it'll change the lighting. So if it's evening wear or cocktail wear, or if it's office wear, or if it's outdoor sports stuff, the lighting in this digital showroom and dressing room actually changes so you can see what's going on. Um, all of that is just stuff we do here every day. Is that so you can figure out if the dress is white or blue? Or it's black yeah, exactly, or exactly, or gold yeah. Or whatever that and dress. you know, and we're I mean, we're doing you know a lot of things um, along those lines to try and understand uh, where the technology is headed to. Since you you mentioned earlier that you know one of the upsides of Chicago is that you're across industries, right? And sure. you, you truly, we truly do here in the Midwest have. Uh, you know, across all those industries. It sounds like a lot of innovation is happening within retail and, and really changing that bricks and mortar experience in other areas. But are there other industries where you see um, particular opportunities for you know, innovation? Well, <clears throat> well, first of all, yeah, retail is uh, it's happening in in-store, but it's also happening uh, in a variety of other ways. Uh, it's happening in the fact that uh, even one hour delivery is not fast enough. And so throughout Europe, uh, we have click and, and carry, which means you order online. But for example, Best Buy last quarter, 30% of what was purchased in store was ordered online and picked up in the store. So curbside and a whole lot of uh, organizations are growing up where mom would just as soon put the two kids in the car and drive by a kiosk and pick up the order waiting for her, then park and go in. And so we're seeing that's going to change every mall in the country. That's going to change the experience. Uh, so we're seeing that kind of activity. We're seeing uh, activity around uh, instead of uh, for 50 years we gave you uh, coupons attached to your grocery receipt as you walked out the store. Very stupid, right? Now your phone, we can offer you real-time opportunities. And we're doing you a favor, and we're actually able to do suggestive selling 
So if you're at Home Depot, we can actually tell you that you ordered these three things or you bought these three things. It looks like you're fixing the floater in a toilet bowl. You've neglected to get these other two things. We'll save you a trip back. We're not trying to force you to buy those other things. We're trying to remind you and do a real service for the customers. That's a win-win. That's a win-win, exactly. So, but other industries, um, you know, food, we're, you know, about 70% of what you buy um, at at the grocery store every week is the same stuff. That's going away. We're going to, you know, the the nature of the grocery store of the future is experiential and immersive. It's not going to be commodities. It's not going to be regular stuff. That'll be shipped to you on sort of a replenishment basis. Uh, but we see, uh, you know, I can't think of an industry where we're not working. We have a whole practice here around innovation for big companies. And it's funny because it's, um, it's, this, it's a process we learned from startups that we've now applied to big companies to help them innovate. And what happens is uh, in a big company, they'll come in and they'll know the inputs. They'll know that the system is supposed to do X, and then they'll know the outputs, but it's taken five or 10 years to develop the code and the systems that permit that to happen. And over those five or 10 years, the world has moved forward. So that code sucks and it's, it's uh, you know, clogged arteries and it's spaghetti code and it's a bunch of junk. Now, what we learned from the startups is to be afraid of fast followers because the startup goes through this exact same drill. You figure it out but it costs you a million dollars. The next five people who are watching you, they already learned the yeah. answers from you, and now they can do it cheaper, faster, more efficiently. All right. So what we've done for big companies is said to them, we'll build bridges, and, and these bridges are very appealing. So United Airlines is here now, State Farm, uh, Northern Trust. Every one of them is the same thing. They cannot get their own IT people to get out of their own way because they built it. So they're building bandages, and we're building bridges over the top. The bridge is faster, it's cheaper, it's it's most interesting is it doesn't require Bob to remember that on Wednesdays you have to kick it with your left foot, otherwise the whole system won't work. So it doesn't require this sort of historical knowledge. It can be maintained by a new group of people, and, and that's very, very powerful. So we build these things in about four to six weeks for them, these new solutions, uh, and then they take it back, and the C-level guys enforce it on the IT guys. And wow. then, and then the IT guys, the IT guys say, "Oh, by the way, we have another dozen of these, and and if we have support from upstairs, we'd love you to do these things." So it's become a very significant practice for us. We have probably 120 guys here and girls who don't want to work for any one of these companies, but they love being a hero every two months. It's like, right. wow, it works. You know, Another problem solved, off to the next. So, well, it's almost um, like a softball in that case because any of these old archaic yeah. uh, scenarios they have going on in their organization, anything would be better yeah. than what they're well, doing today. Except right? they can't get out of their own ways. That's the guy, right. Because the right. guys who built it yep. won't throw it away. Okay. So you're kind of a catalyst there yeah. for change. Yeah. And I think also there's another very sort of technical thing that's that's involved here, and that is that from a headcount standpoint, it's almost impossible for these people to hire bodies. They can take the exact same money, give it to their corporate development venture guy, and he can go invest it in a startup that's doing the exact same project that they couldn't do in-house, and it's all off balance sheet, and they love that. 
So we have a whole bunch of those projects going on. I almost feel that way with my kids when I'm trying to teach them to read or learn. They always do better when they have a tutor or a teacher, yeah. not mom and dad, because yeah, they hard. like throw a tantrum in front of mom and dad. It sounds similar. Yeah. yeah, it's a little. It's well, I think that it's uh, you know it's the not invented here syndrome. I mean, the state of Illinois has no money, but if they did, I mean, they've already described to us a situation where they literally. 35% or something of the IT workforce for the state of Illinois is now eligible for retirement. And the accumulated knowledge that they'll take with them when they retire is really frightening because they're the only guys left who know where all the bodies were buried. I mean, some of this code goes back 15 and 20 years. So you've got to start a strategy for replenishment and replacing these things. And you've got to sort of do triage because there's no way in the world you can do it all. Uh, but what we like is that we have the ability to take some of our new startups, some of our new solutions, and feed those into this process. And, boy, that's a huge win. I mean, it's a win for a startup to be working with a division of Allstate or to be working on some of these solutions. So we've got uh, probably a dozen of those projects. Uh, and, again, we do those in a very curated and sort of uh, special process. If you were – Joe Blow startup and you called on Miller Coors, you wouldn't get in the door. You know, if Miller Coors yeah. comes to us and says, yeah. I'm the chief marketing officer, I want to see what you guys can do to help us solve these three problems with new approaches, then we can do that all day long. That community aspect is absolutely amazing. And one of the questions I have is based on your, your Tasty Trade uh, conversation you had last week. And, and, and please correct me sure. as I'm going through this. As we talk about these organizations internally, they're looking to innovate socially, collaboratively, more and more and more internally. They want their employees working with one another, business, working with IT, and working up the high ups, but also kind of flattening the model of the organization. Now, when you talk about entrepreneurs and collaborating and socializing, how do you view that? Um, you, you had taken an interesting approach approach on your response in the tasty trade conversation it almost feels like entrepreneurs need to kind of push forth to some degree and collaborate i, I don't know maybe you can kind of comment on that i don't well, want to put words in your mouth how do you uh, do that in the entrepreneur startup world you know i think that the uh you know what we've tried to do is um we sit on top of 450 companies and we know more about the aggregate opportunities than any one company. So, so you know, we're a real value-add player. I mean, we, yep. you know, when we say something is going on on a college campus, well, we know that we have people who are inventing four and five different products that they're offering into the college campus world. One is, uh, uh, one is video tours, okay, for parents who just can't afford to take their kid to four more colleges. So this is a guided tour using streaming video interactively, but you drive. You say, I want to go see the athletic department and the engineering uh, you know, prof. I don't want to see the standard three-minute video that the university puts out. Uh, and then another group uh, wants to see what's going on on campus from a fashion standpoint. So we have a group here called College Fashionistas, and they have 500 college campuses represented by women and men who sort of track all the styles and what's going on. And for an incoming freshman, that's a pretty significant oh, yeah. thing. It's like, what's oh, going yeah. on? So we combine we combine the video people with them. And all of a sudden, instead of the video people trying to figure out how do they get onto 500 campuses, overnight they're on 500 campuses. 
and they're you know they're sort of uberizing that existing infrastructure mm -hmm. to add another set of features and another set of services. So it would be impossible to make some of the things happen that we do as a matter of course every day if you were just out there in a garage or in a, in a silo, you know, trying to do this all by yourself. And that, that definitely speaks to, I mean, everybody in here and just the, how everybody is just popping left and right. I mean, it's quite amazing. Yeah, and people, you know, people, you think, people think that uh, a lot of our companies are competitive. They're really not. It's really unbelievably collaborative, and it's just the way it works out. But one of the reasons is that when you build a cluster, let's take education, no one company in that cluster has the resources or even an interest in building a stem to stern solution. This is only what the big guys are trying to build, like Pearson and McGraw-Hill, and, and you know, we'll be dead by the time they finish building that system, or by the time they announce it, it'll be so old and stale that it won't matter, okay? Yeah. But we can stitch together best-of-breed solutions. So if you have a great tablet app, when you go in and call on the school district, what they say is, does it talk to Blackboard? You know, Does it talk to our enterprise yep. reporting system? Of course, you say, no, I didn't build that. I just built this kick-ass you know, tablet thing. It's like the best thing but ever. But the guy the, down the desk for me, he's building the enterprise solution. So now let's get in there and let's bring in two or three different of our companies. And they actually are able to sort of have a cafeteria menu approach to solving the whole problem. And they'll just, you know, they'll do it in bite-sized areas. But this is how you eat an elephant. You know, you eat yeah. it a bite at a time, right? Yeah. So dealing with these big organizations, we've been able to fashion things in real time that these big companies just can't do. McDonald's, you know, was just in here two and a half years to finish their new payment system. That's great news. I mean, it will be the fifth largest in the world. Two and a half years, they may be out of business. <laughs> you know, I mean... It's frightening, but speed is such a tremendous, you know, significant factor here that you just can't wait for your own organizations to uh, do this kind of disruptive innovation. And, by the way, they're not interested in doing it either. Yeah. I think we're almost at time. And okay. I want to be respectful. But sure. uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, you're a prolific author. Yeah. <laughs> is there a book that you recommend? Well, I actually have a book, uh, you know, I didn't remember the name of it on uh, Tasting Trade, much to my <laughs> chagrin, but it's called uh, Launching a Startup in the Digital, in the digital Age, age yeah. or something mm -hmm. like that, which is a compilation of about uh, uh, 75 or 100 uh, of the ink columns over the last year or two. Look, I, you know, I think that uh, uh, everyone should start with Clay Christensen's, you know, books around uh, how disruptive innovation occurs and... Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of literature, but the truth is that um, the best way to really do this is by observation. It's not by it's not necessarily reading. It's it's learning from people who've done it. And you know, we like to say, I don't want a surgeon who's watched a thousand operations. I want one who's done a thousand mm -hmm. operations. And yeah. and by the way, there's one of the articles in that book is called uh, you know how to deal with marginal mentors. This is another thing that we've had to deal with. You know, if you did it once, we don't know whether you were smart or lucky, right? So um, we have a 360 evaluation thing. And if you're just here to tell your war story, uh, we don't need you as a mentor. I mean, we, we would like to have you. But um, so we're, you know, every part of what we're doing is sort of trying to put some real meat and science around how to make it the most valuable use of the time. And when you do these things where... A young startup is meeting with a guy who's a senior executive at a major corporation. 
one, they're a great customer, but two, they know what they're talking about. I mean, that's the kind of interactions that you want to generate. So that's what we focus on. I think people who leave here will say they never had any idea of how you could learn at this sort of accelerated pace. And when they do leave, they very often come back because they don't understand just how much value added there is just in the osmosis, just in the air around here. Uh, you know, you can get cheap space elsewhere, but you can't get this mix of community and mm -hmm. collaboration and education and connections and networking and resources and finance. Nowhere. Nowhere else. Yeah, that's clear. I mean, we walked in and we felt the level of energy immediately, and it, it is people just sitting around. You can tell just talking about their ideas sure. and, and learning from one another. So you really have created a very special environment. And obviously, very successful. Even at five thirty a night. I mean, yeah. seriously. I mean, that's no. So we run till about nine. So we'll, we have three events going on and two classes going on. But in terms of success, you know, we measure jobs. So we've graduated about a hundred companies. They've created about four thousand jobs, which is staggering. That uh, is raised over a hundred million dollars in terms of capital that probably wouldn't be here but for these companies. So that's a good metric. That's a good way. But every single day, the way we measure it is you look around and you see a level of excitement and enthusiasm that's pretty contagious. And that's really what we you know, want to keep doing. We want to get all the obstacles, because this is hard. This is mm -hmm. not something that everybody gets to do, but it's also something that's hard to do. And our job is to sort of run interference and clear the path so we can have as much innovation as possible. I think, as a matter of fact, just apropos of Microsoft, we have, I think, 30 companies now taking advantage of sort of the grown-up version of BizSpark. I don't even know what mm -hmm. it's called yeah. now. We yep. call it Martin's yep. Project. But in any <laughs> event, uh, you know, we're excited about that. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there's a lot of opportunities that uh, we haven't even begun to tap in terms of things. So uh, so thanks for the opportunity. And, Thank you. And, you know, uh, if, you, if you haven't been upstairs, you should see the new space. It's completely gorgeous. And... It's funny because it's intended to be aspirational. So each mm -hmm. time you sort of expand your business, you sort of move into a slightly more grown-up space. So, so what's next for 1871 then? You know, we uh, it's very e easy sort of to find new things to do. We'd rather go our, deep. So it's sort of nail it before you scale it. We're never going to be, you know, franchising. We're never going to be, you know, focused on... Uh, you know, Steve Jobs used to say, and it's not wrong, I mean, it's it's what you say no to that really defines yourself. Mm -hmm. and, and as a nonprofit, we get thousands of invitations to help with schools, charities, non other nonprofits. You know, we have a clear mission, and it's a luxury to have that clear mission. It's like create a lot of jobs and a lot of successful businesses, end of story. So while we work with veterans, while we work with women entrepreneurs, while we do a lot around diversity – that's pretty much what's on our plate, and until we're, like, beyond the best at doing that, uh, I don't think we'll focus on too many other things. Yeah. Great. Right. Okay, well, thanks. Thank you for your time. Appreciate thank you, it. Thank you. Howard. Thank you.